We watched a video during service here called Maybe We're Supposed to Run. Some of the things that stuck out in that video were, were some di- to me were some different ideas that when we were kids, we loved to run. Right? I mean, how many times do we have to tell the kids, stop running? Right? When we were kids, we loved to run. And yet, how many times do you have to look at Brian Schreffler and tell him, stop running? You don't, right? Like Brian, he, he walks nicely to class and all that kind of stuff. And he, he, he uses this indoor speed, right? Same with, you know, Jared. Not Britt. Britt runs. We've got to slow her down. But no. But you know what I mean. You know, but as kids, we love to run. And, and a lot of times we think it's because we're proper and all these things. But you know what? I kind of think that what he was talking about, some of the things that stuck out there, is somehow or another that, that desire to run just kind of gets squished in us. I mean, when we were kids, we loved to run because we were excited to get places and to live life. And some of us were so excited that we sped the process up by getting on our bicycles and pedaling as fast as we could. Right? I mean, we had to get places. It wasn't enough that we got an hour to go ride our bikes with our friends. We had to get to the, to the place where we jumped the bikes as fast as we could so we can get as many jumps in as we could. Because we needed to go to the hospital for those broken bones and we needed to make sure we broke them. <laughs> but somewhere along in, as kids, and this is one of the key points that stuck out in this, we stopped running. We started walking instead. We started walking for various reasons, maybe because we were content or maybe because we were trying to cope or, or maybe because we were trying to fit in. We started walking. He said in the video that walking was proper, easy, normal, and boring. But is life really about being comfortable, content, and easy? Or are we supposed to be, like he said in the video, passionate, radical, on fire? Maybe instead of walking through life, maybe we should run. Maybe, just maybe, what we were doing as children was right. And maybe we should run. I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And we're going to see what God has to say about this. Let's answer the question, maybe we should run, kind of as a question. Maybe we should run? And let's, let's look at that and answer that question as we explore the Scriptures today. Here's what the passage says. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You might be reading from some other translation. That's okay. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses basically as a result of chapter 11 and what he's taught there since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us looking to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Two simple verses. Two simple verses, and in the Greek, actually one sentence 
In the Greek, it's a one sentence. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come and challenge us and stretch us today when it comes to this one sentence. Holy Spirit, we sang that you're welcome here. We recognize that you're not subordinate to God, but you are, in fact, one and the same as the Father and the Son. And so we invite you here by your presence to teach, to to illuminate this passage to us, this, this one sentence to us. Would you speak to us? Would you challenge us? And would we walk out of here today with an answer to the question about whether or not we should be running? Lord, it's easy in some respects to answer this question. But Lord, it's so much more difficult when we say, what does this actually look like? So we ask you to speak to us today in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. You know, he talked about in the video about the normal life, right? Walking was normal. The normal life, you know, it's kind of patiently plodding along through the week. Especially in America, right? I mean, when the weekend's over, don't we get back? We got the, you know, the Monday blues, you know. We got to get back to the daily grind at work. And we plod along through the work week looking for the weekend to come again. I mean, we even get excited when we get to hump day. You know what I mean. If you don't know what I mean... Maybe you should think about the Geico commercial with the camel who's walking through the office. Everybody's looking all dour and sad. Hey, hey, John. Hey, you know what day it is? Dylan, Dylan, what day is it? Kelly, Kelly, come on, Kelly. What's today, Kelly? Kelly. And Kelly says, it's hump day. That's right. He's like, hump day, right? What is the hump day all about? Now, we know in the commercial it's all about the camel, but... It's like, oh, we're halfway through this plodding week trying to get back to the weekend. And I mean, we have all of these sayings that show that we live for Saturday and Sunday and maybe Friday night. Right? We're weekend warriors. We're all of these things. And when we go through life in our regular thing, I mean, five out of seven days or at least four and a half out of seven days are just seen as plodding along Woe is me, the majority of our life in American culture, I mean, if we're honest, is kind of that plodding Eeyore. You guys know who Eeyore is, right? Winnie the Pooh. No matter. Looks like it's going to rain today, you know, kind of thing, right? This is kind of our thing. I mean, maybe uh, our, our, pl- our prize, you know, as we focus on this plodding through the week is, is the quitting bell on Friday. I mean, think about the phrase TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Right? I mean, we even have a successful restaurant chain built off the idea of Friday being what we live for. Being the end of the monotony of the daily grind. On TGIF's or or TGI Friday's website, corporate website, it says this. If you think I'm stretching this out, this is the truth. This is what it says about why they created TGI Friday's. On Manhattan's Upper East Side, where could young adults go out to meet friends and make new ones in an environment that was both relaxed and yet exciting? The answer was, and this should be sad for the church, the answer was nowhere. That should hit us like a ton of bricks. Nowhere. Not the church. 
Not your house hanging out with you. There was nowhere fun and exciting and relaxing that people could go. Nowhere. Until Alan Stillman, not Jesus, until Alan Alan Stillman opened TGI Fridays and suddenly there was a place that filled you with a Friday feeling. No matter when you walked in. From that moment until today, Fridays has been known for taking fun seriously and grasping the real, pure potential that a Friday is made of all day, every day. Today our promise remains. In here, it's always Friday. Think about that. Somewhere deep inside of us, we're not content with this plotting. Somewhere deep inside of us, we know that something is radically wrong. Something is wrong with this. Even people who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior know that something is wrong, that that the majority of our life is spent plodding along, just kind of putting our nose to the grindstone. I mean, as you think about what Hump Day and TGIF have to do with Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, the answer is simple. It's what I just said. We know that something's wrong with life and, and that people aren't supposed to be plodding through it. There's supposed to be some kind of meaning. There's supposed to be some kind of excitement. There's supposed to be some kind of passion that makes life worth living. However, the problem with these two things is that they point us to the wrong solution. They point us to living for a fun weekend, a break from the monotony. We work Monday through Friday to simply pay for the weekend. Or maybe it's like Domino's where, you know, Domino's, you know, they talk about it a little bit. Domino's has got a little clear. Domino's talk about adding pizza to your middle of your work week and all those kind of things. And they say, well, it won't, that won't really fix it. But God, God points us to the real solution in this passage. It's not a fun weekend. It's not a fun weekend that we should be living for. And I believe that first and foremost, the church has to get a hold of that because until we get a hold of it and until we as the body of Christ stop living for Saturday, barely, and Sunday, mostly. We live for Sunday. Most churches, it's all about what happens on Sunday. Until the church stops that, the world's not going to believe us. Until we stop plodding through life just like they are with our Eeyore spirit. Oh, woe is me. I'm back here again. This job really stinks. Till we stop letting the joy get sucked right out of us the way they are. Nobody's going to believe us. We have to realize there's something better. God says we should be living for something else. He tells us in this passage, He says the kind of life that we should be living is a life of running. Not running around like a chicken with its head cut off. That's what most of us, when we start thinking about running, we're thinking about running around like a chicken with our head cut off. We're like, I just don't want to run like a chicken with my head cut off. I want to just stop. I just want to sit down and relax. That's not what God's idea of running is talking about the kind of run that makes you feel exhilarated 
Like when you were a kid. Like when it was a joy. Like when you ran because you couldn't wait to get where you were going. In this passage of Scripture, there's three action statements. Remember, it's one sentence in the Greek. Now, one is the main action statement, and the other two are dependent clauses, meaning they're dependent on the main action statement. Here they are in the order in which they appear. Okay? The action statements, three action statements in one sentence. It'll eventually come up there. Uh, The first one that we see it as it appears is to lay aside. The second one is let us run. And the third one is looking or fixing our attention on. Now, we're tempted to believe from this passage that the main action statement in it, now that I've given you those, and and don't answer any of this out loud, just keep it in your head, you're you're probably going to get tricked into saying the wrong answer out loud. I don't want to trick you, okay? But we're tempted to believe the main action sentence is requiring us to fix our attention on Jesus or looking to Jesus. This is evident by the way many Bibles label this section of Scripture with titles like Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's the English Standard Version. That's how they title this section. Those bold titles that are in your Bible aren't there in the original Greek, nor are the chapter marks, nor are the verse marks. None of that's there, nor are there any capital letters. It's all lowercase. All lowercase, no titles, no chapter marks, no verse marks. All right, so here we go. So this is evident, um, you know, so the Jesus, our example, the NASB, follow Jesus' example. Or no, excuse me, Jesus' example. Sorry, that's the NASB. The New Century Version is follow Jesus' example. But this is not correct. Fixing our attention on Jesus is a dependent clause of the main action. Looking to Jesus is dependent on the main action. That's not what it's about. It's not about fixing our attention on Jesus. It's not about looking at Jesus. It's about something else. We're also tempted to believe that the the main action clause is laying aside sin. Because, well, as Christians, isn't that what we're called to do? Aren't we called to repent from sin? Well, while it's true that we're called to repent from sin, this isn't the main action the passage is requiring either. It's also dependent on the main action, which leaves us, and you'll get this one right, what's left, say it together with me, read it, let us run. The main action that this sentence is is requiring us to do, what it's telling us to do, First and foremost is, let us run. We are called and commanded by God to run the Christian race of... Excuse me, stuttering over my own words. We are called and commanded by God to run the race of the Christian faith with endurance. That's what this one sentence is about, is running the race with endurance. Now, many of you are probably thinking inside your head, but I'm so tired. But I am so tired. How on earth am I going to do more by running the Christian race of faith nonstop? How am I going to do more? Where am I possibly going to get this energy from? I don't have it in me to do any more.
Well, guys, first of all, you have to realize that the race of faith is not meant to be an exhausting, life-draining event. It is meant to be joyous and invigorating. Look at verse 2 there. Jesus, the dependent clause about looking at Jesus, what did Jesus do? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. One thing that I wish I could affect inside of Christianity in America, seriously, is that we would stop using this the way we use it. This is not supposed to be pretty. That didn't appear in Christian artwork. It didn't appear in worship centers until years after the last living human being that had seen one used saw it used. Till everybody died off who'd ever seen it used, it wasn't in worship centers. That is not the original symbol of faith. The ichthus fish was. The little fish. That is a torture device. That is not something that's supposed to be pretty. We've taken the world's most cruel torture device, and I know I say this over and over and over again, but we've taken the world's most cruel torture device and turned it into a piece of artwork. But that is not, I mean, think about it. They drove spikes through Jesus' hands or his wrists, nailed him to it. They drove spikes through his feet. They, they lashed him to it. And this was what they would do to criminals. Jesus died in an amazingly, amount of, amazingly quick amount of time on the cross. It would usually take a week for people to die. Jesus dying in hours on the cross was amazing. It would take an enormous amount of time. The, the cross, the people would be nailed to the cross, set up and, and to show and serve as an example to scare the bejesus out of them so they would bow down to the Roman Empire. So when you see this where it says in this passage in verse 2, that who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. It, it's, it's not talking about enduring this thing of beauty that we've made it. It's talking about he went and he knew that he was going on the most cruel torture device ever invented. Still to this day. There's no way in America we'd let anybody be executed this way. We would say it's cruel and unusual punishment. He endured that. Because of the joy that he knew that would come on the other side of it. This wasn't pretty. And I understand. I'm not picking on us because we decorated it. Or we even use it. I'm saying that's just something that happens in churches all over. We've taken what God said is, is painful. A death to ourself and turned it into something that's more romantic. More beautiful. Looking at that horrible event, Jesus endured all of that. Why? Because he knew that the joy that he was going to, was going to happen because people would be born again, radically born again into the kingdom of God. He knew that it was worth it. He did it knowing that the end result was worth all of the pain. It was worth all of the trial. It was worth all of the struggle. It was worth all of the things that were going to happen to him. He endured it. Let me give you an example that maybe you can understand better because I know that most of you, or maybe not most of you, but I know that some of you are at a loss when I come to talk about the cross this way because you've been indoctrinated to believe that it's this beautiful symbol of hope. 
which it was never meant to be. And so you have a hard time understanding what I'm saying and you're even struggling with it. I mean, I look around, I see some of you even shaking your heads no, saying I'm wrong about it being a torture device. Just go look it up. Not in, your, not, in, not in Christian literature. Go look up the historical use of the cross. Go look up, the, there's a video that's available on YouTube that talks about Jesus dying on the cross and how it probably would have worked. It's horrible. It's not a symbol of hope. It's a symbol of death. But, so let me give you an illustration that maybe you will understand. How about the people in the church who run? You know, like Rebecca. Or Keith. Or Jamie. Or Brian, or Mark, someday again when he gets better, or Adam, right? I mean, I have people who try to get me to run. And to me, running, I just don't want to do it. Physically, I just don't want to do running. I mean, I even have friends outside of the church who try to get me to do this. I have a friend, David Hunt, who I was in the army with, who tries to every once in a while get me to run. Here's why I don't want to run. Because it was forced on me every day for almost nine years. Right? I didn't have a choice. I was in the army. We sang a cadence. Hey, all the way, we run every day. And we were serious. (laughs) It was horrible. It was just horrible. I mean, I wore shoes out regularly and consistently i couldn't buy a pair of nike airs because the air cells would pop in them usually within a month and a half because they're just pounding the pavement running 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 and and the army's theory on it was you can do cardio every day you gotta let your muscles recoup you know recover when you do weight training different things like that but cardio you can do every day so i mean a short run day was two miles that was a short run. We'd run five, six, seven, eight miles. Had to keep it at a had to keep it at a seven minute mile pace too, you know, or, or less. You know, just forced on people. Yet my friends, like Mark and Adam and Brian and Rebecca, they keep telling me that running is fun and exhilarating. It'll give me more energy. I'll feel better. This is how it is for a lot of people. You know, what am I doing? I'm going, uh, don't think so. Right? This is how it is for a lot of people when I tell them that the Christian faith race is joyous and life-giving. This is why many of us sat there in our, cha- in our chairs and, and we reacted and we thought, no, I can't do anymore. And, 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 It's why we've taken the cross and made it mean something that it was never intended to mean. It was intended to mean for us to go and die to ourselves. Go and die to those things, trusting that He had something better planned for us. But we made it something that it wasn't because we don't want to do that because we can't see how this can be exhilarating. Maybe this comes because of uh, people's experience with the church. Because like with me, when I was in the army, my experience with running told me something else. Maybe people are like this because like, man, I've been around church people and they're hateful. I I went into the church service where I wasn't dressed nice enough and, and everybody looked at me like, what are you doing here? Or I went to the church service and guys, 
This is about here, what I'm getting ready to say, specifically about here. I was sitting down and somebody came and told me I was in their chair. It's happened here repeatedly. Stop it. You don't have a chair at OCCA. Okay? But they're like, no, there's nothing exhilarating about that. I I sat down and somebody came and told me to move. That's not exhilarating. That's painful. Maybe they did come and do it and they were working and they got burned out. Or they got injured. Somebody hurt them. Intentionally or unintentionally. Maybe they tried to run in their own power. This is like trying to run an ultra marathon without training. I mean, you don't just go run an ultra marathon, do you? You don't go from couch to ultra marathon. You go from couch to 5K. Amen? And you you had to build up, right? But they jumped in and they said, oh, I'm going to get involved. It's exciting. I'm going to get involved in what church has got to offer. And I'm going to do all of these things. But they didn't build up their muscles of faith. They didn't build up their endurance. They, They didn't say, Jesus, you come in and empower this. I want what you're calling me to do and nothing more. But they got suckered in. And so this is like trying to run a marathon without training. And so they're skeptical about this whole let us run. They've been hurt. Maybe it's, maybe it's not them. Maybe, maybe it's you. I mean, maybe you're here every day on Sunday, but then the rest of the week you're kind of checked out. You're kind of going back to life, plodding through. Maybe you've been hurt. Or maybe it's a friend who's been hurt. Or, or maybe it's one of your kids who's been hurt. Or maybe it's your parents who've been hurt. Or maybe it's your wife or your husband who's been hurt. Or been burned out. Or been stressed out. So how do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile this? I mean, if the main command in this passage is to run, and yet we hate running, yet we've been burned, we've had all these things, how do we reconcile this? How do we get over this thing and we say, oh, it's supposed to be joyous and invigorating, but it's not very joyous and invigorating? Well, the first thing is that we have to realize that this joyous, invigorating thing doesn't mean that we won't get tired. Like after a good workout. It means that our good workouts will build in us the endurance to continue running. That's the first thing we have to realize in this. We have to come to the realization that, okay, I got burned before or a friend got burned. And so just because they got burned doesn't mean tired for me is going to burn me out. God created things called work-rest cycles. You do work for six days, you rest on the seventh. By a show of hands, and I want you to raise your hands on this. I'm not going to make you feel bad, hopefully. I, I I won't intend to make you feel bad. How many of you keep a Sabbath... Don't, and I don't care if it's Sunday, Saturday, Friday, whatever. You keep a Sabbath where you say, on this day, I'm not working. I'm only doing those things which are reinvigorating to me, which is resting, maybe going fishing, all those. How many of you keep regular Sabbath by show of hands? Okay, there's very few of us. Can I just encourage you something here real quick? God created Sabbath for you, not for him. You need to take one day a week, every week, and set it aside and say no. 
How many of you have ever tried to call me on a Friday? Get a hold of me to do something on a Friday. Some of you have. I won't even... I won't, I won't even answer my phone on Friday. You can't get me to do anything on Friday unless it's an emergency and an emergency counts and somebody's in a life-threatening situation or they've passed away. That's it. I keep Sabbath. It's Friday. Every single one of us should have a Sabbath. A 24-hour period where you say no. No is not a cuss word. Some of you are tempted to say, but I take hour here and I take hour here and I take an hour here. That's not what God said. He said on six days you do your work and on one day you rest. It's okay to say no. Jesus did not abolish that. He fulfilled it and He gives us permission to fulfill it too. This is why, this, is, this will help us to this, come to this understanding that being tired isn't a bad thing because I know I'm tired by Thursday. And I'm going to get Friday to recharge. That, now that doesn't mean I don't work ever. I mean, I might mow my grass or I might, you know, split some wood or or I might wash the car, or I might write a paper, or I might do, but I do what I want to on that day. It's not about being legalistic. It's about saying, today is my day that God has created for me to be able to rest, to be able to relax, to be able to do those things that I want to do. Today is my day to go float down the river with a fishing pole and try to catch a bass. Think about that. This is, how, this is how we turn that bad tired into a good tired. You know, like when we get done with a workout and we're tired and we need to rest. You sit down after a good workout having drained your physical energy, but leaving having built up your emotional energy, your spiritual energy, even as we talk about this. You know, we come away, I'm tired now, but I know that it's, Rebecca keeps telling us it's going to make me feel better. Right? It's going to make you feel better. But it, it, the first time you take Sabbath, it's not going to make you feel better that day. It's going to take time to build that endurance up. So when we run the fa- race of faith every day, we begin to realize that, that we're going to be physically drained at times, and that's okay, and we're going to be emotionally and spiritually drained at, that, at times, but that's okay because running this and then taking that day of rest is going to help that reinvigorate us. And I want to say again... This, because it needs to be said very clearly, it's a literal 24-hour period. It is not a snatch here and a snatch there. That's like saying they took a Sabbath day when they were at the Olympics and they ran the 100-meter dash and then rested for two hours and then went and ran the 400-meter hurdles. No, we recouped a little energy there, but we can't keep running the 100-meter dash and the 400-meter hurdles every day. We need to take some time off. So we have to continue. We have to build our endurance. And so we run the race of faith and we're being drained. And we say, well, how do I do this? You know, 
Well, let's look at the dependent clauses besides the Sabbath part. It's let us lay aside sin, right? Let us lay aside every weight. This means we bring Jesus into every area of our life. There's no longer a separation of the secular and the sacred. Everything is sacred. How we handle our customers at work, how we handle employees, how we handle bosses, how we do our schoolwork or our chores, our attitudes towards our parents or or our spouses. And to be quite honest, and if I'm not taking the time to rest every week, well, I, I don't want to have a good attitude towards Brian because I'm tired and I just want to rip his head off, right? But I'm able, if I know, you know, I've got an escape time that God created a Sabbath and I've got an escape time that I'm going to go towards, then I know that, you know, Brian can say something snooty to me. And Brian's never said anything snooty to me. But Brian could say something snooty to me and I cannot rip his head off. That I've got a time to go recharge. And I go, you know, maybe he's having a bad day. And, and, it, and it takes emotional energy to not do that. And what happens is if I'm not getting recharged, maybe Brian's snooty this week. And I don't do anything. Maybe he's snooty next week. And I don't do anything. But the third or the fourth week, Brian's snooty. And then I just, rah! Because I'm not being recharged. So I'm laying aside sin. I'm laying aside the weight that so easily drags me down and all of those things by taking Sabbath. And all of a sudden I start to be able to handle people better. We can lay aside these habits or these these sins and these weights that drag us down by following the examples of the greats of faith. What did it say? Therefore, since we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin and weight that so easily entangles. We can look to the greats of faith, but I'm going to say this again. If you've been a Christian for over 25 years, stand up. Quick, stand up. If you've been a Christian for over 25 years. This is the greats of faith. It's not just the people in the faith hall of fame. These are your examples in the modern day. They've endured for 25 years or more. You can have a seat. I said this when we started the faith hall of fame. I'm telling you now. Learn from their example. Look at us. Go to them. How would you make it through this? How did you make it through this? How did you keep coming to church and keep coming to church and keep coming to church? How did you keep ministering to people? How did you not just give up on the church when people lashed out at you and hurt you? We, we do this by looking at those around us. And then we do the final thing, which is we fix our eyes on Jesus. So here's what I think happens though, on these dependent clauses. Right, We get so focused either on fixing our eyes on Jesus that we sit and worship Him, but then we don't do anything else and we wonder why it's not working. Or we try to legalistically go through our lives and clean out every little thing that's sin. I want to tell you something that hopefully will stick with you for the rest of your life. Because it's, it's so ridiculous what I'm going to get ready to say. I think it'll stick. It's Mountain Dew theology. Mountain Dew theology. If you can remember this, and I think you will because it's Mountain Dew theology, I think you'll remember it. When you're looking at how do I throw off this stuff and how do I fix my eyes upon Jesus, what does Mountain Dew say? They say, do the do. Do the do. 
See, when we fix our eyes upon Jesus, we're doing the things that we're supposed to be doing. We don't really have time to do the things that we're not supposed to be doing. Like if I'm taking Sabbath, I don't have time to be breaking the Sabbath. If I'm praying for somebody who's hurt me, I don't have time to harbor unforgiveness and bitterness towards them because I'm praying for my enemy. I'm praying for the one who hurt me. I'm loving on them. I don't have time to get caught up in all of this stuff. If I'm reading my, my Bible like I'm supposed to be every day, if I'm praying, if I'm doing all those things, I don't have time to be on the inappropriate website. I don't have time to be caught up in things that won't bring any profit if I'm doing the do. Again, Mountain Dew theology. Mountain Dew got it right. Do the do. This is how we fix our eyes on Jesus. You want to know what the do's are? Look at the greats of faith. We already talked about that. Go to Heidi and say, Heidi, where did you get the energy to live the life and do your business and raise your kids and write a book or two? I don't know if you got the second book done yet. So, third book? No, okay. How did you get the energy to write a couple of books? Doing the do. Doing the things we're supposed to be doing. I mean, let's just be honest with one another. Drug addicts and alcoholics and different types of addicts don't sit around and beat their addiction by thinking about not doing drugs or not drinking. They beat it by going and doing something they're supposed to do. This is fixing our eyes on Jesus. And when we do this well, this takes the grind out of the daily life and it makes life exciting. People are healed and set free because our lives are proclaiming His freedom, healing, and life. Our lives are proclaiming His freedom, healing, and life. Let me just tell you this one more time. Our lives, not just our words. Now, the words are important. You can't just do the life and not the words. But by the life that we live, people are saying, Oh, see, because if I come in and I tell you there's freedom, healing, and life in Jesus, and yet I'm living defeated, I'm tired, I'm worn out, I'm just as mopey and grumpy as you are. You're like, yeah, right. But when I actually do these things, people around me start getting set free. People around us who don't know Jesus come to know Him. People at our work or school start seeking us out for advice, prayer, help when they have a problem. I know Christians who are in different situations where people at their work know or at their school know, boy, this person lives a different life. And I'm having a hard time. I'm going to go to them and say, hey, can you pray for me? Can you help me? Because they see them living this different life. When we start doing this, when we start running our, our, the race, when we start actually saying, this is not just a weekend thing, this is a, I'm going to do this every day thing, this is part of my life, and one of the days I'm going to take Sabbath, which is also running the race. Because you've got to have the day of recovery. Right? When I start doing all these things, people are going to see this. And, and you know what's going to happen? You're going to start sensing God's presence guiding you in, in your day-to-day decisions of life. People are going to start getting saved. Things are going to start happening. Some of you are having a hard time believing this. Because you've never experienced this kind of stuff in your life. You've never experienced people coming to you and saying, tell me about the hope that lies within you. You've never experienced people coming and saying, boy, your life looks different. You've never really even talked about God outside of church 
with the exception of maybe with your kids at home. Please don't raise your hands. How many of you make it a regular habit to talk about Jesus with your coworkers? With the students that you teach? I know, I know. Everybody says you can't do that in today's world. Eh. Tell all the people who are doing that that they can't. My God's bigger than all of that. And all of a sudden, life is invigorating. And yeah, I'm tired. And I have to take Sabbath. If I don't take Sabbath, I can't keep it up. And all of a sudden, people start getting saved, which pumps me up. And then I start seeing people grow in their faith, which pumps me up even more. I'm building my faith muscles. And all of a sudden, I'm running. I'm running everywhere I go with endurance. It's more than a marathon. It's more than an ultra marathon. It's an ultra, 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 super ultra marathon of faith. This is how we do this. Put your eyes on Jesus as a result of running. Because you're running, fix your eyes on Jesus. Lay aside every, every, every sin that so easily ensnares and entangles you because you're running. Decide to run the race of faith. If you decide to run the race of faith, you have to lay aside the sins. You have to fix your eyes on Jesus or otherwise you simply can't keep going. See, the command in this passage of Scripture is not fix your eyes on Jesus. It's not put your sins to the side. The command in this passage of Scripture is let us run. Maybe we should run. We themed today's service around running. Mark is going to come back up and in a moment here and lead a song, that one that we've already done, the one that he said was new. It's called Run. This is our God. It's my hill song. And we're going to talk about, we're going to sing about running, understanding. That's what God is asking us to do. And some of you are struggling with this concept. I know it. that's okay. It's okay to struggle with it. That's why we give you homework. Here's the homework for this week. Monday, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 15. Tuesday, 1 Corinthians 9, 10 through 27. Wednesday, 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 21. Thursday, Galatians 5, 1 through 15. Friday, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8. And Saturday, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. Read those passages of Scripture. See if they don't talk about these things that I'm saying that we should be doing. See if they don't talk about us running, training as an athlete. I mean, one of them talks about training as an athlete. See if that's not what they say. Understand that your, that your pastor's not full of it. Rebecca hasn't been able to convince me yet that running's going to make me feel better. It's more painful to change than it is to stay the same. Understand that I'm hoping today by preaching this passage that I'm making it more painful for you to stay the same than it will be to change. It's going to be pain. But it has to be more painful to stay the same than it does to change or else we just continue to stay the same. We are people that take the path of least resistance, the least amount of pain. Honestly, we do. Amen? I'm guilty too. So it has to be more painful to stay the same. Let's pray. Father, 
We ask you that it would be more painful for us to stay the same. We ask you that, it would, that what you would do is that you would begin to speak to each one of us right now. That you would tell us that it's time for us to run. That you would just speak to us through your word and that we would run with endurance the race that's set before us. And because we've decided to run, that we'll be able to lay aside all of those sins that so easily entangle and ensnare. All of those weights, all of those cares, the things that aren't sin, but they're things that drag us down. That we'll lay those aside. And Lord, as a result of all of this, we'll fix our eyes on Jesus. And, And Father, help us to see the importance of Sabbath. It's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, Amen.